1995, 23-year-old Heather Teague was sunbathing next to the Ohio River in Henderson County, Kentucky. Across the river, a man watched her through a telescope. As she lay there unaware, the witness saw a man creep up and abduct Heather at gunpoint, dragging her into the woods. Heather has never been seen again. Welcome to the Fact and Suspicion podcast with your hosts Dan and Ben. Tonight we will be discussing the abduction of Heather Teague. Now this is a case that I remember from several years ago, and I remembered it being interesting, but I just didn't realize how in-depth it was at the time. Yeah, I remember you told me that you didn't think there was enough to it to even do a full episode on. Uh, You did that short that we put up on YouTube, uh, but I guess you've changed your mind since then? Yes, I have. I just did that short off of a a few news articles because I was really just talking about the the process of her abduction with that. But um, there is so much to this. I went down a giant rabbit hole. It was almost like Holly Bobo all over again. Well, it should be interesting then. Well, I think it's interesting, but uh, let's get started with the, with Heather and the abduction here. Heather Teague was 23 years old. From what I can understand, she was home on a break from college. Uh, some accounts she'd actually dropped out of college. It was August, so it's hard to say, but it was, it was August 26th, 1995. And she had gone to Newburgh beach, uh, in Henderson County, Kentucky. Now, a lot of people say, why is there a beach in Kentucky? But this is not, you know, like the normal beach along the ocean you would think of if you go to Florida or somewhere, right? Gotcha. This is a, a beach along the Ohio River. And from what I can understand, it was sort of seedy. Um, this was more of a party beach. So it would be more popular sort of at night. Uh, people come out and have bonfires and drink and stuff like that. Not very traffic during the day then? Not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. But she was out there sunbathing, and she was, um, even for you know it being early in the day and not many people being there, she was in a secluded part of the beach even then. Um, she was up on one end close to uh, a bunch of trees, so there, there would have been really no one anywhere around her at the time. Now, across the river from her, a man named Tim Walthall. That's the creeper? That, that's the creeper, yeah. He is, he is watching the beach through a telescope. And he sees Heather, there sunbathing, and also down on the other end of the beach, there are a group of people riding four-wheelers, or ATVs, whatever you want to call them. But, you know, obviously, um, they, they can't see Heather because they're very far away from her. So Tim turns his attention back toward Heather, who is sunbathing topless, uh, according to his account, though he says she's laying on her stomach, so oh, uh, he's not right. supposed to be seeing things. Oh, okay, sure. because, you know, otherwise it'd just be creepy, right? I have no comment on the creepiness situation of this just yet. Well, as he's watching the scene there with Heather, he sees something disturbing. As I said, she's close to the woods there, and a figure starts creeping out of the woods through the underbrush towards Heather. And it's a man that sneaks up behind Heather. He grabs her by her hair and flashes a gun at her, or what Mr. Walthall assumes is a gun through his telescope. And then he drags Heather into the woods with him. Now, I think I would go ahead and call 911 just then. Yeah. But he he didn't call immediately. Well, I mean, I guess there's a, a bit of a moral dilemma there, right? I mean, he was obviously being a creeper. And to call the police, he'd have to tell them he was doing that. I'm sure he wasn't excited by that prospect. 
maybe so. Now, according to Mr. Walthall, he waited to call because he thought this may have been some sort of prank by her boyfriend. A, a, what? A prank? He thought someone was maybe just messing with her and that she'd be coming back out of the woods in a few minutes to get her stuff. Right. I mean, did he think he just randomly zoomed in on a sketch comedy skit? I mean, was this was this punked? Oh uh, yeah, the, the old the old grabbing the naked woman by the hair and dragging her into the woods bit. Yeah, that's a it's a, it's a real classic. Well, t- to be fair, the odds it. of you, the odds of you, you know, checking with the telescope and seeing something like this happen are are not good either. But at any rate, he eventually does call the police. Um, he waits about twenty to twenty five minutes, and he he says he calls. Um, he's in Indiana. So he, he says he calls the Indiana State Police first, uh, from what I can understand. And then, you know, there's some confusion about because he was in one state and this happened in another. But he eventually got connected to Henderson County and reported this. Now, he described Heather's assailant as being about six foot tall and 210 to 230 pounds with sort of shaggy brown hair and a, a scraggly brown beard. Now, when police get on the scene, they find Heather's chair there on the beach. Uh, it's turned over. They find her purse on the beach, uh, her bathing suit tops laying there. And then they find her towel at the edge of the woods. She dropped it as she was being dragged into the woods. And then later on, they find another piece of her bathing suit in the woods. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound good. No, not, not at all. Another piece of evidence they were able to gather that day uh, came from a videotape that was taken. A, a local farmer lived close to that beach, and apparently he had made an insurance claim that his crops were being damaged by all the litter people throwing out when they left the beach. So I hear different reports. It was either the farmer was videotaping the cars there at the beach and the cars going by, or it was an insurance adjuster. I'm not sure which one. But at any rate, the, the, the videotape caught Heather's car there, as well as a red and white Ford Bronco. Now, police start looking into the red and white Bronco, and they're able to get a suspect. There's a man named Marty Dill who, who drives a red Ford Bronco, or a red and white Bronco, that lives there locally. And Mr. Dill was arrested uh, back in February of 95. And when he was arrested, they found some very interesting things in his Bronco. When he was arrested, he was actually out soliciting women for sex, just kind of cruising around. And, was he looking you know, for a prostitute or just propositioning random women? It seems like he would have had to have been propositioning random women because he was reported to the police for it. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Or maybe he was asking the wrong women if they were prostitutes. I'm not sure. Something along those lines. But uh, the police pick him up. He has marijuana in his in his vehicle. Not a big deal. But he also has two loaded handguns. He has duct tape, rubber gloves, and rope. Oh. That's quite the collection there. Yeah, so that's pretty disturbing. I mean, I think of he, good reasons to have any one or maybe two of those things, but all together, sounding a little like a kill kit. Well, Marty Deal was a carpenter, but I still don't think all those things together, they don't make sense. And there, there are no reports of nail guns, hammers, power saws, anything like that in the truck, right? R- remind me what carpenters use pistols for. Well, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just saying some of the other things maybe we could explain. Maybe he would have duct tape, maybe maybe the rubber gloves, you know. 
Yeah, I just I can't think of a good reason to have all those items together like that. Well, you can see why this put him on police's radar when they're looking through red and white Broncos, right? Yeah, and, and how long before this was the, the Heather Teague uh, disappearance? Well, Heather was abducted in August, and his arrest was, was earlier that year in February. Okay. Now, something, you know, if you're maybe watching a YouTube video or listening to another podcast about this or reading a blog or an article, a lot of them get this detail wrong. A lot of them claim that Marty Dill was pulled over after Heather Teague was abducted and they found all this stuff in his vehicle then, but that's not the case. This actually happened much earlier in the year. Well, you know, journalists going to journalism. What are you, you going to do? Well, you know, to, to be fair to the journalists, I never actually read a respectable news article that specifically said that he was pulled over after Heather was abducted, but they just sort of omit details. So it's they'll say, because of a man who was a man being pulled over with such and such in his vehicle was made a suspect. It, it sounds like he was pulled over afterward, right? Yeah, yeah. They don't specifically state that, but it seems to be implied. It seems to be implied, and then you have these YouTubers and bloggers that take that and write, "Oh, he was pulled over after Heather was abducted." I mean, what what do they they think that police officers are like Barney Five or something? That they wouldn't think know. that that was suspicious, particularly while they're investigating the disappearance of a of a woman. I don't know. You, you know that she's missing, right? You know that a, a red and white Bronco is at the scene. And then, oh, this man has rope and duct tape and guns. I just let him go. He's fine. Just happens to be in a red and white Bronco. Uh, did he fit the description that uh, the creeper with the telescope gave? Uh, yeah, so the, the police pulled up his driver's license photo, and it really did match uh, that description. And... There was a composite drawing from Mr. Walthall's description, and his driver's license photo looks a lot like that composite photo. Okay. So the police decide they're going to go question Mr. Dill. So he's looking pretty good for this, right? Oh, yeah. Even even some of his family said they thought he could be involved in it. So he, he really looks like this is the guy, right? Okay. Now, the police head out to his house. And the best I can understand, Mr. Dill becomes aware they're heading to his house, or maybe they get there, and he starts to panic. But he tells his wife to leave the house, and he barricades himself inside and has a standoff with the police. Yeah, that's not doing much to make him look innocent. Not at all. Uh, now, one of the police officers that was there with the standoff was actually uh, Marty Dill's uncle. And his uncle comes in to try to talk him down. Uh, but after he's in there a little while... Uh, Marty Dill shoots himself in the head and commits suicide. Did he do it in front of his uncle? Yeah, I don't know, honestly. Uh, I, I don't have any details about that. I, I guess probably part of the police report that's not re released. Right. So the police feel like Marty Dill is a great suspect for this. He must have done it. But they really need some answers. So um, they took uh, their evidence before the grand jury. And when I first heard that, I was really confused because, you know, you can't indict a dead man, can you? Uh, not to my knowledge. I, honestly, I say not to my knowledge. I don't know. Maybe you can. Well, I, I think you technically can, but the reason they did this was really just to force people to testify, some of his family members, so that maybe they could get some details. Okay. Uh, they really don't get any details, though. His, his wife um, is forced to take the stand, but she pleads the fifth to everything they ask. Any idea why? I mean, was she afraid of uh, incriminating herself? Like, was it maybe for drugs or something? 
Um, th- that's very possible. They did have some some drug things going on. I'll get into that in just a little bit. But th- that's very possibly why she pled the fifth, because there definitely were drugs. And he, it seems like he was involved in some other things that weren't necessarily a murder. So she probably didn't want to incriminate herself on anything. I mean, it seems like if the prosecution really wanted answers, they could have just granted her immunity to, to anything that uh, that wasn't directly related to what they wanted to know, right? I'm not sure that that's the case. She may have just been mad about the whole situation. I don't know. I mean, yeah, her husband had just committed suicide. Maybe she blamed them for it. Right, right. Now, they didn't get any information from any testimony from Marty's family that they could, you know, really make a solid case that that he was the killer. And Marty made no comments during the standoff that would uh, suggest he was guilty? Uh, No. And, you know, I, I don't know of any. But according to Heather Teague's mother, Sarah, who, who really has investigated this a lot, uh, she says that the, the police during the standoff never even mentioned Sarah to him. But I, I don't know how true that is, you know, because I'm sure she wasn't there. I don't know if, how she would know that exactly. Well, I mean, it's not like he was under arrest yet, right? They were just coming to ask him questions, if I, if I have that right. correctly. Okay. So it makes sense. They might not have announced exactly why they were there. They, they, I mean, the questions probably would have answered that, but it's not like they were going to tell him, hey, you're under arrest for the murder of Heather Teague. Right. So we don't know exactly what happened there, but there was some information, uh, very interesting information, that came out in that grand jury hearing. All right. And this really didn't uh, necessarily line up with, with the, the Marty Dill scenario. Now, a woman reported seeing Heather in a car driving through Reed, Kentucky, about two or three hours after her abduction. Now, Heather wasn't actually driving. She was in the car with a man, and the woman reported that Heather seemed like she didn't want to be there. It seemed like there was a struggle. Well, you said car. I guess this wasn't the, the Bronco? No, she said it was a silver and red Chevette. I have no idea what a Chevette looks like. Do you? Well, this was um, about a 79 or 80 Chevette. And that particular model of Chevette looked something like a Pinto. Okay, yeah, that that, that I'm familiar with. Ugly little right, cars. Right, so yeah. Well, the the man that she saw him with did fit the description. He had the uh, the longer hair and a scraggly beard. So you know this this could have been her abductor in this Chevette. So do you know how certain the woman was that it was Heather and how she learned about the case? And she hear about it on the news. I don't know how certain she was that it was Heather. I know she heard about this once the the search for Heather started. And she probably put two and two together and thought this could have been Heather. But she said the woman matched Heather's description, you know, with the the long, dark hair, stuff like that. Right. However, there is a piece of evidence that points toward this probably being Heather. And I, I may be getting ahead of myself a bit here, but Heather's mother, Sarah, uh, you know, she investigated this very heavily. And eventually she was able to get files from the FBI through a FOIA request. And a lot of those files are on the find Heather Teague website. And I was just looking through those files and I found a police report where a man who was apparently one of those people riding four wheelers on the beach that day had reported much later on seeing a silver Chevette with red doors parked in that same parking area close to the Bronco and Heather's car. That's certainly interesting. Right. Now, I don't, I haven't heard about this in many, in in any of the other podcasts, YouTube videos. I don't read about any articles, but I did find it there on that website. So I think that's something that, that Heather's mother is aware of. 
it's not something I've heard much about, but it, it does really point to Heather being in that car going down the road. Yeah, definitely. Um, so have police ever identified the, the, the person who was driving the Chevette? No, they have not. I, I think maybe they think it could have been Marty Dill, though I find that unlikely since that was his Bronco. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't seem right. And, and there are other reasons I find it unlikely, too. I, we'll get to that in just a few I mean, minutes. Because weren't both vehicles supposedly spotted at the beach? Yes. Was he driving yes. both of them? It doesn't make any sense. No, I, I am I'm fairly certain it was not Marty Dill. And there are several reasons for that, that that we'll get into. But let's let's just, you know, continue with this just a little bit. I would like to talk about another suspect in the case before we come back to all the stuff that doesn't add up. That's OK. Yeah, sounds good. Much later on in 2004, another person of interest was named. His name is Chris Below. I think it's Below. It could be Below, B-E-L-O-W. I'm going to say Below. Okay. Both sound pretty weird, to be honest, but I'll take your word for it. At any rate, in 2003, Chris Below was arrested for a murder that he committed in 1991. Now, Chris Below, for one, he did have the shaggy, the long brown hair and sort of a scraggly beard. So he kind of fit the description. He did fit the description. And the day that Marty Deal killed himself, Chris Bilo was living there in Kentucky locally. And that very day he left and moved to Georgia. I mean, that's an interesting detail, I think. But what exactly is the implication? Well, the implication is that if he was involved, he knew that police were getting close to him. You see, most people um, believe that probably Marty Dill and Chris Bilo were both involved in this. As in they acted so, together? Yes, yes. That's, that's what a lot of people think. Is there it's, any it's evidence the more, they knew each other? Yes, yeah, there, there is. Okay. Um, actually, um, Bilo, Dill, and Heather all had several shared acquaintances, and they were all known to hang out at the same bar. Is there any information about them being at that beach before? Not necessarily about Marty Dill, but uh, Bilo was known to hang out at that beach. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Right, so, you know, either he knew they were searching for Heather's killer and he ran, or if they were both involved, then he may have thought that Marty said something before he died, so you know he, he, he left. Yeah, yeah, I guess that makes a little more sense now, then. Uh, but at any rate, a little history on Below. In 1991, he killed a woman named Catherine Fetzer, and the two of them were having an affair. She was, she was a married woman, but they were having an affair, and Chris killed her when she tried to end the relationship with him. How did he do it? He shot her. Now, the way they actually caught him for this is in 2003, he was picked up because he'd been accused of molesting his niece. And while the police had him in custody, Detective Thomas from Ohio decided to interrogate him on this, and he interrogated him for three or four hours, and Bilo confessed. He said that he shot her in his apartment and disposed of her body in a dumpster. How long had he gotten away with this before confessing? Twelve years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it was a cold case. And apparently the, um, the police in Ohio had been pretty certain that he was guilty of this for a long time, but they, they couldn't just pin it on him, and they never found a body. So with the fact that they didn't find a body and they didn't have a great case other than Belo's confession, they actually allowed him to make a plea deal. He pled guilty to 
involuntary manslaughter and was sentenced to 11 to 18 years. Okay. So this wasn't just like a crime of passion. Like she didn't break up with him. He just pulled out a gun and shot her. He must have planned this then if he was able to dispose of the body. I'm really not sure. Now, he told police that he disposed of it in a dumpster, but he's been known to brag to his friends that he knew how to get rid of bodies. And he said that you would either feed the body to a hog or bury it in a shallow grave and cover it with lime. So it's possible he did one of those things and just just didn't tell the police that. You know how much time he got for it? 11 to 18 years. I, I don't think he's out just yet, but he should be getting out sometime this year. I, I looked him up, and I found uh, his profile on one of those uh, inmate pen pal sites. Okay. So, and, and, you know, I think a lot of people may be writing to him because he is a suspected serial killer at this point. Besides Catherine Fetzer and the suspicion of Heather Teague, he is suspected in three other murders. Now, is this like internet suspicion or, or have... Or has he no, been investigated for them? He, he's been named a suspect in all of these oh, okay. by police. Okay. Um, they're all women that fit the, the sort of the same physical description as Catherine Fetzer and Heather Teague. They, they sort of look similar, about the same build, dark hair, things like that. Gotcha. And, and all of the others look, look just like that as well. And, and there are some other reasons police suspect him, but I don't have all the details on it. However, because of all these things, uh, people think it's it's quite likely he may have been involved in in Heather's disappearance. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Now, there there was one other thing about Belo that it's really strange, but and I've only heard this described uh, you know through audio, but apparently when his arms were resting at his sides, his hands were sort of turned inward, so like the the back of his hands would rest against his thighs, if that makes sense. Imagine if you're standing up, right, and you're holding your hands by your sides. Okay. Then just turn them inwards until they're sort of backwards, and the back of your hands would touch up against your legs. And that was like his natural resting spot? Yeah, that that was his natural resting position. And something that that Tim Walthall said about the man that came up behind uh, Heather Teague, he said that he thought it was really strange that the man uh, kept his hands turned inward. So that that was a, a a major thing that really pointed toward Belo as well. Now, as I said, I wanted to get into the things that just don't add up about this murder or about this disappearance, rather. And uh, the, the first thing that doesn't add up is that remember how we said that Marty Dill, you know, they pulled his driver's license picture and it looked just like that composite photo that yeah. was drawn from from Walthall's description, right? Well, it turns out that driver's license photo was nine years old. Oh. And he really didn't look so much like that anymore. Yeah, that, that's a um, problem. Yeah, yeah. He was he was now bald and clean shaven. And there's no evidence that he had just recently shaved his head? No. Uh, police, you know, they want to say that he may have just recently shaved his head after he abducted Heather. But there is a photo uh, from about a month before Heather's disappearance that Heather's mother dug up of Marty Dill, and he was bald and clean-shaven then as well. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty devastating for the case against him, isn't it? Uh, Well, it is, but, I mean, you also did have his vehicle on the scene, so... That's true, and, I mean, and we're, we're relying on that, that creeper's eyewitness description. Right, and, you know, j- just to be honest, like, 
how good of a description can you make when you're looking at someone through a telescope across the river? Yes, it's a good question. I mean, I mean I'm I sure he know. wasn't paying a lot of attention to the surroundings. Um, I don't know how good the telescope would be, but I mean, I've got binoculars that I like to like watch deer across the road. I live out in the middle of nowhere, but like I get deer across the road all the time and I, I like to watch them through that. And it's not super clear when I'm looking at them, you know? Yeah, that, that, that's fair. And I mean, I would, I would imagine that binoculars would be better tools for that task than a telescope, right? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I just don't know how good of a description he could actually give through a telescope. Um, now also, you know, you would, you think that Marty Dill committing suicide is very damning, right? But as it turns out, Dill had been in trouble a few times with the law before this, and he was actually out on probation for that prior arrest when the police came to see him, and he was running his own marijuana growing operation, so he may have thought they were coming about that and they were going to arrest him for that. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. It could have just been that he'd rather die than go back to prison. That, that's very possible. But then again, he, he may have been involved as well and, and, and killed himself over that. I, I'm not making a judgment on either way. Right. But these are just some of the details that don't add up, right? Now, you also have the fact that that composite sketch looked a lot like Marty Dill's driver's license photo. I mean, very, very similar. But you said that was eight years ago, right? Yeah, well, it was nine years ago. Okay. But, but the suspicion is, and especially Heather's mom... Well, she says that they didn't make that composite drawing until four days after Heather's abduction, which you would think they do it right away, right? Yeah, maybe. What's fresh on your mind? Well, at any rate, four days later, they could have very likely already been suspecting Marty Dill. Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this now. Right. So imagine that one of the cops who has this driver's license photo Shows it to Mr. Walthall and says, do you think this is the guy? I'm not saying this happened, but it could have. Right. And then Tim Walthall has that image in his mind later on when they ask him to do a composite drawing. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. Um, how accurate was the composite sketch to Marty Deal? I mean, was the resemblance pretty uncanny? It was a very strong resemblance. Some people say it looks just like him. I'm not going to say that, but it looks very, very similar to him. Another complaint that Sarah Teague had about this investigation. That's the mom. Yeah, that's the mother. Um, I should explain, you know, when they had this grand jury hearing, they didn't close the case. They left the case open. But the the Kentucky State Police basically told Sarah Teague, Marty Dill killed your daughter. That's the end of it. And while the case was still open, they really weren't investigating it anymore. So Sarah Teague took it upon herself to really investigate everything very heavily at that point. Yeah, I don't blame her. I mean, it's not like there was enough evidence to say that Marty Dill definitely did it. Right. She wanted more answers. And beyond that, she actually searched for Heather even more than the authorities did. I'm not saying that the Kentucky State Police didn't search. They searched the river. They searched a lot of areas for Heather. But Sarah organized a lot of private searches that covered a lot more ground. They searched almost the entire county. They searched bodies of water. They searched through abandoned buildings, barns anything they could think of trying to find Heather's body. Or, did she or do Heather all this alive. herself or did she hire a private investigator? No, she, she's done just about all this herself. Wow. She does have a lawyer working with her, but I, I don't know of any private investigators. That's dedication. And now we're going to be getting into some claims that Sarah made. 
most of this this information is things that she she got from the FBI documents, she got from the FOIA requests, things that she says she spoke to the FBI about, or you know, just things that she picked up while you know you know working with police during this investigation. But you know, some of them are are pretty peculiar, I would say, and there's really no way we can substantiate any of this information. With me, it feels like some of these are, are a little erratic because they don't seem to support the same sort of conclusions, I feel like. And I'm, just, I'm not sure what to make of them, honestly. I mean, is it like conspiracy theory stuff? I mean, does it have a decent basis in reality, at least? Honestly, it does sound a bit like it moves into conspiracy theory territory. Um, and I, I'm not trying to say that I think Sarah Teague's crazy in, in any way. I mean, conspiracies but, happen. I mean, we we did Danny Castellaro, you know, a few months yeah, back. No, the, so these things definitely happen. But I think the the problem with this information is that, like I said, it doesn't all necessarily support the same conclusion. And I'm not sure if Sarah has like a real solid theory of exactly what she thinks happened. So even if um, the stuff is true, you're not really sure what to make of it, right? I, I'm definitely not sure what to make of this stuff, and I, I don't know for sure if Sarah knows either, but I, I want to get into, into a lot of these claims she's made and she's made a lot of claims. I'm just going to get into some of the, the bigger ones and I'm taking most of this from her interviews that she's done with a podcast called Southern gone. She and her lawyer both interviewed with them and also some court documents I found from the case where, where she sued the, Kentucky State Police for um, for the recordings of uh, of the nine one one call. Well, if nothing else, it should at least be entertaining. Well, yeah, it's it's very interesting. A, a major problem that Sarah had with this whole investigation was that she feels like Tim Walthall was present through a lot of it, and he was there more than a witness should be. He was the creeper, right? Yeah, yeah, he he is the person that witnessed the abduction through the telescope. Now, Sarah says that when police got on scene, that he got in his boat and came across the river to meet with the police. And he was there while they were searching the beach for evidence. And he was even there, you know, when they found that piece of Heather's bathing suit in the woods. They let him wander around the crime scene. I mean, he was the only eyewitness. Right, right. That's the claim. And, you know, I don't have any way to substantiate that. But if that's true, there are a lot of reasons that's a problem. Right, yeah. For one, with him being the only witness and with it being such a, a weird circumstance, you would think he would be the initial suspect, right? Of course. But, you know, police seem to believe him. I mean, considering what he was doing at the time, they probably thought if he was willing to uh, confess to that, that he was likely telling the truth. I mean, it, it was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, I would say that was embarrassing. And also, if he was guilty of something, why even call the police? Right? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. But that's, that's not the only problem. I mean, for one, you can't have any civilian poking around a crime scene. You know, they don't know how to properly investigate or keep from, you know, destroying evidence, right? Yeah, of course. And then I think the the biggest thing to me about that is I feel like anything he possibly sees there you know, looking around the beach, that could change his memory of exactly what happened, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, 
So you would think that if he did come over, maybe to give them a statement or something, that they would take him to the side, have him sit in a police car while, you know, uh, an officer questions him and they keep him away from the actual scene. I mean, that seems like it makes sense. Yeah, I don't know what he was doing, just wandering around over there. I don't either. Um, and was he helping with the sense. search? Is that is that the idea? That that is the, yeah, that's the claim. That's the claim. And like I said, she said he was right there when they found that piece of the bathing suit in the woods with them, which is if that's true, it's weird. It's very weird. Now it's not just that she said that anytime she was at the police station, you know, giving a, a statement or or questioning about something. She said almost any time she was there, Tim Walthall was there as well. She'd run into him in the station. Really? Yeah, which seems I'm not really sure what to make of that. I mean, is she implying that he had some sort of relationship with the police? I mean, other than just being a witness? Yeah, she's she's definitely implying that. Okay. Definitely. Though I I just I can't make sense of of why else he would be there all the time, really. Oh yeah. Um, Maybe you know, maybe if if they want to talk to her and they're working on the case that day, they they'd want to talk to him as well, but that seems like a stretch to me. And my guess is she probably dropped in on them unannounced quite a bit. I mean, I would, victims' families tend to keep up with the cops about what's going on. Yeah, I, I would think so. And she also, um, and, and this is you know the strangest part of him being there so often, she said that when the police went to Marty Dill's home and they had the, the police standoff. When he killed himself? Yeah, when, when he killed himself, she says that Tim Walthall was there that day as well. What the hell would he have been doing there? That makes absolutely no sense to me. I don't think they would put cuffs on Marty Dill and say, hey, was this the guy, Tim? You know, that, that, right. that's not how you do that. I mean, you know? in, unless he was involved in some way with the investigation, I don't see any reason for him to be there. But, I, but there's I, I no agree. way to verify that outside of her word? No, outside of her word, there's there's no way that I can substantiate that. So. Like I said, I don't know if it was true, and maybe she just heard a report from someone that was wrong. I don't know. If it's true, if, if it's unusual. True, very unusual. And while we're on the subject of the police standoff, uh, Sarah has also questioned the fact that Marty Dill's uncle, the, the police officer that went in to sort of talk him down, right. was the only one there when, when Marty committed suicide. Is she implying that he might, may have had something to do with it? With the death? Yeah, yeah. She she thinks it's possible that he killed Marty uh, himself, so that they were covering something up. Does she have any idea why that may have been the case? Like, do well, you yeah, know it, what she thinks was being covered up? Well, yeah, I'll just go ahead and say it. She believes that that Heather was a confidential informant, and that they're just sort of covering up some sort of of mess that happened. Okay, is there any evidence to suggest that? Are you asking if there's evidence that Marty Dill's uncle may have killed him or that Heather was actually a confidential informant? I specifically was asking whether there's evidence that uh, Marty Dill's uncle had anything to do with his death. But, I mean, either's fine. We, we'll, we'll get into the confidential informant stuff at, in just a moment. But Sarah says that it was, there was a strange angle uh, to which the, the bullet entered Marty Dill. But that's something that I cannot substantiate at all. And I, I don't know, like the way people commit suicide, I'm definitely not a, a ballistics expert. And I, I know that she isn't either. So you're saying there was something weird about the trajectory of the bullet, like how it entered his body? I think it was his head, she, right? It, it was. Yeah. And she thinks that there, there was. But like I said, I don't, I don't have anything about that. 
she does say that that Tim Walthall told her you know, that when he identified the body that the entire back of his head had been blown off. And then then she also says that later on she found out from an autopsy report that it said there was no exit wound at all. Why was Tim identifying the body exactly? Well, he, he was identifying the body to say, yes, this is who I saw through the telescope. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And, you, you know, she says there was that. And then she says that there was some sort of strange angle because Marty Dill was sitting in the bathroom floor and the angle of which the bullet, you know, went. I think he's supposed to put the, the gun in his mouth. But I, I don't have specifics on that. I just know that she says that it was a strange trajectory. And I don't have specifics, but that's one of her reasons. But it's, it's worth mentioning just because they were the only two present. And you do have a claim that he committed suicide. And beyond her suspicions of the circumstances of her death, she also claims that after his death, the Kentucky State Police didn't even do a, a full search of his home, uh, nor did they search you know, nearby bodies of water for Heather's body. They did do a workup on the Bronco, but they never, according to her, really searched the home very well for evidence. I mean, that would be consistent, at least, with the poor job the Kentucky police seem to have done. Yeah, and, and to me, that's just, that seems to be indicative of just lazy police work and then wanting to go ahead and close the case. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I can't say that's some sort of cover-up, right? I mean, they seem pretty convinced that they found their guy. My guess is they, they didn't want to, to look too deeply into it past that point. Didn't want to confuse things, if you know what I mean. Right, right. It definitely seems that way because... The, the state police, they, they told Sarah um, after, the, after the grand jury hearing, they told her, you know, Marty Dill killed Heather, and, and that's the end of it, even though the case was still open. And, and that was a huge problem for Sarah. And, and they even, um, they had DNA evidence that they, they took from the Bronco, and they just sat on that for 10 years, uh, never tested it. Sarah said that, you know, she kept asking them and asking them about it. And they just said, uh, no, we haven't, we haven't gotten to that yet. They haven't and, gotten around you know, to testing the DNA? No. I believe exactly what she said was that the FBI informed her that they had DNA evidence and they, they hadn't tested it. And she had to badger them and badger them to get them to actually test the DNA evidence. If that's true, that's it's messed up. Yeah. It, it came back inconclusive, though, that as far as it, it wasn't necessarily matched to Heather. It was just inconclusive. Sarah's FBI documents also indicate that there was more than one assailant involved, which that's a huge problem if they just end the investigation with Marty Dill's death. Yeah, of course. Uh, one document uh, involves a statement from a, a woman that overheard two other individuals discussing Heather Teague. Uh, they were saying they were going somewhere and they were asking if this person would be there, that person would be there, if Heather Teague would be there. Uh, that, that was very hard to get through because... Almost everything was redacted in that document. Basically, you just had Heather Teague's name, and that's the only name that was present. Yeah, it seems like that'd be difficult to read. Yeah, it, it was, because it, most of that document was just, just names, and it was really hard to get through. Another document she has is a police report, and uh, this has a statement from a woman that was driving uh, down the road one day, and... The woman didn't remember when she gave the statement exactly what day this was, but it was around the time of Heather's abduction um, because she, she didn't actually report this till much later. Okay. She was driving down the road and she saw Marty Dill and another man uh, driving a van. 
and that, that van passed her on the road, and she saw the two of them. Could she have mistaken that for a Bronco? Uh, no, no, uh, because she talks about the side door of it, and a Bronco doesn't have that. And oh, okay. We'll get to that in just one second. But you know, after the van was in front of her, they just they pulled off the side of the road really suddenly, and she says that you know once it pulled off, she drove by. Um, she looked at the van and she saw that the side door had had slid open, and she could see a woman's head and arm hanging out of the side door. And uh, she said that woman sort of matched the description of Heather Teague. She at least had the dark hair and and looked like it could have been Heather Teague to her. I mean, the, the the big problem I have with that is that if it's true, that would be the third vehicle involved in this crime already. Yeah, it it, it definitely would. Um, I You've was got the what the Bronco, the Chevette, and now a van. Now a van, and I guess what I was thinking with this is that maybe if this is true, maybe this is the vehicle that they were just using to dispose of the body later on. I suppose it's possible. Right, but yeah, that would be a, a third vehicle, which is strange. It just seems like and we're getting is, awfully convoluted here. It's going to get more convoluted than this. But this this was a police report that she has on the findheatherteague.com website. You know, you can look at. And if if that's, you know, an actual police report, if a woman did report that and that was in fact Marty Dill and that was in fact Heather Teague's body. I mean, but that, that's a lot of ifs, though, right? That, I mean, that's a lot of even ifs. Even if it's a valid would, police report, it could still be a, a you know a bad tip, right? She could just be mistaken. Yeah, she could have been mistaken. And this was, you know, uh, significantly you know down the road from when it happened. I don't remember exactly when she reported it. I I couldn't. I don't remember if even the date was on the police report. I'm sure it was. But that's kind of troubling too. It. But well, I, I think the date was there. I just don't recall when it was. But she said in the report that she didn't report it at the time. Because, for one, she had her children in the vehicle with her, and she she apparently knew Marty Deal and this other person, and she said that they were very dangerous people, and she was afraid of them if she had reported it. So, to be clear, she didn't report someone who fit the description of Marty Deal. She knew Marty Deal and is claiming that he was in the van, for sure. Oh, yeah, she says that Marty Deal was in the van. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah she did not know who the other person was, as far as I know, but... Like I said, you have some redaction in that as well, so I'm not sure if she knew exactly who it was or not, because a lot of that was redacted as well. But it did it did name Marty Dill in the report without that being redacted. I mean, that's interesting. I'm just not certain what to make of it. The introduction of the third vehicle makes me think that something has to be wrong here. Yeah, I agree. And like I said, that the, the lady could have been mistaken. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the case, honestly. Another thing that Sarah has brought up is that there there was apparently a tip at some point uh, that a man named Mike Shelton, and he is actually Marty Dill's brother-in-law, uh, had been heard to have said that Heather was actually accidentally run over. Does he say um, by whom? In the tip, it doesn't say, but he seems to be inferring that you know, it was Marty Dill or maybe someone else, that when they were maybe were trying to abduct Heather, she started to get away, and then they accidentally ran her over trying to catch her. Oh, okay. Which is, is not that outlandish, but again, there's nothing to substantiate it. Right. It's just sort of a, a tip that came in. But it, it is possible that's what happened to her, right? Yeah, it's absolutely possible. I mean, without evidence that suggests that's what happened, you know, it's just a claim. But it's interesting, if, if nothing else. Right. Like I said, I'm just going over the, the a lot of the claims that Sarah's made here. Yeah, yeah. And from this point on, they they start to get more and more peculiar, I guess you could say. 
Now, Sarah says that, you know, she spoke to the FBI quite a bit. And uh, that one thing she found out was that Heather was apparently last seen on a boat ramp um, around 3 p.m. that day. A boat ramp? A boat ramp, yeah. Um, that I, I guess that, I don't know if she was supposed to be getting on a boat or what. And I've often wondered if this is not somehow tied into the lady that said she saw her in, a, in that Chevette going down the road. Because that was around 3 p.m. as well. So if that was, you know, supposed to be close to a boat ramp, that may be tied to that, but I, I don't know. But but she says that, you know, you, you have another sighting of her, you know, on a boat ramp about 3 p.m. Did so she give any other specifics? Like, where was this boat ramp? Where was it located? I know it was just, just a local boat ramp. She she never gave the specific location. I don't know that she had the specific location. But that's something she stated over and over is that, you know, apparently Sarah was seen again after that. So we have Sarah, you know, being seen several times. And this was after she was supposedly dragged into the woods in yeah, the other story? Yeah, this would be about, about two or three hours after she's drugged into the woods. But the reason I say that is we don't know exactly what time the abduction occurred. Um, by most reports, we say it's a, around 1230, maybe one. And then this was at 3 p.m. I mean, does that really make any sense to you? Would she be seen alive after being dragged into the woods like that? Not really, no. But um, the the sighting of her in the Chevette, like she was definitely alive in the Chevette, if that was in fact Heather. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose she could have been kidnapped. Yeah, so 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 we have her, you know, there on a boat ramp at three p.m. And whether that you know that may just be a tip where someone was mistaken again, but that's that's something that you know Sarah states uh, quite a bit. All right, so so what's next? Well, now we're going to get into the the details where Sarah believes that Heather was a confidential informant. All right, and you know she says that the FBI told her point blank that Heather was a confidential informant for the um, local police, apparently. And according to Sarah, Heather had met with a Henderson police officer. The night before her abduction. Did she say which police officer it was or why no. they met? No, it was just that it was a Henderson police officer. And apparently there was an FBI agent that was meeting with her as well. And this was just about her informant status and probably, you know, passing information. Maybe nice to have a few more details there, but. Well, Sarah says that it, it has something to do with drugs. Um, and, and she believes that there was some sort of sting operation that was supposed to be happening on the beach that day and that something went wrong with it. And that's, that's what the problem was. So that something Sarah would have been involved it. in it. Heather would have been involved. In it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Heather would have been involved. Uh, yes. Sarah thinks that Heather was an informant and she was involved in some sort of sting operation on the beach that day. And, you know, she thinks that something went wrong with it, which led to Heather losing her life and the, the Kentucky state police had to cover that up at that point because they weren't able to protect their informant. And like I said, this is just a theory that Sarah has put forth. I'm assuming but she doesn't have a lot of evidence to back it up. Not a lot of evidence, but other than the fact that she's been told by the FBI that Heather was a confidential informant. And these are the conclusions she's coming to, right? Basically all of her evidence is from, you know, her conversations with the FBI and those documents she has. And as far as her conversations with the FBI go, that really leads us to probably the, the strangest claim 
that I've heard from this. Um, she says that in 2008, a lady named Samantha Deegan, who was a victim's advocate with the FBI, called her. And Samantha told Sarah that she was being fired and she wanted her to know that Heather had been hired by the Democratic Party. And um, I do not know what that means. But did she give any specifics there? No, no, no. And in, in according to Sarah, this was very cryptic to her. I, I just mentioned it because she said that in interviews, and that's also, you know, in the, the documents from the court filing she made against the Kentucky State Police. So but you know, what would what would any political party have to do with this? I don't know. You know even if it was a, a sting operation, even if you have local government corruption, I don't know what a political party would have to do with it. I mean, it might make sense if this were like Mena, Arkansas in the early 90s, but... Right, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I mean, I don't guess there's any evidence of cocaine trafficking through this city, is there? Well, no evidence, but I've heard Sarah mention it. Oh, okay. Um, I've heard her mention cocaine, but I, I don't, I don't think the CIA was running coke through, through Henderson, Kentucky. So, I, I don't. I, I say CIA. I'm just talking about like the case you mentioned there. So right, right. Like, I mean, that's, that's what happened in Mina. Right. They were they weren't involved in this. I'm not trying to to bring that forward, but oh, I'm sorry. That's that's allegedly what happened in Mina. Right, right. I, we know the CIA has dealt with cocaine plenty of times before, but let's. That's neither here nor there. With the CIA case. has allegedly dealt with cocaine before. Sorry. I left out allegedly. I'm sorry. It, it happens. But yeah, I, I have no idea what what this claim about the Democratic Party could mean. It's just, I mean, it's completely devoid of context. Yeah, it, it is. And it was devoid of context to Sarah as well. I mean, for but, one, parties don't hire people. People do. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't get it. I don't either, but that's that's really the end of the, the claims that she's made. But, you know, these are basically just things that, to her, that don't add up, right? And I mean, I the, the problem that. I have here is that even if some of these things are true, I have no idea what the hell they even mean. No, no, I, I don't either. I, I, I don't know what to make of them. Like I said before I started this, I don't know what to make of them. But I, I wanted to bring, bring it up because these are things that, that Sarah has definitely mentioned several times. And, you know, she's she's just looking for answers. I don't think she's a crazy person, you know? I mean, yeah, she's, I mean, she's just a grieving mother, right? I mean, I'm sure she's doing her best to get answers, but considering the initial investigation seemed pretty poor, I mean, I guess she's just been on her own. Had to take information where she could get it, you know? Yeah, yeah, she has. And those FBI documents, I mean, there, there's no telling what all she found in those documents and, and what was just tips that came in and what's, you know, more substantiated information. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I don't know this case. I almost hated to get into all these allegations because I don't want to make her sound like she's lost it. You know, I, I don't yeah. want to do that. And I feel like with this case, you either have to believe that the Kentucky state police were just completely inept, which is very possible. Or you have to believe that there is some sort of cover-up, there's something nefarious going on, right? I mean, of course, the, the two aren't mutually exclusive. No, they, they aren't. But I, I just feel like with this case, it has to be one or the other. Yeah. Now, part of me would like to believe 
that this is some conspiracy theory and that that she will find answers because I feel like the only way she'll really find the answers is if, if, if it is some sort of conspiracy, right? Because if it's just bad police investigating, I feel like it's too late. We'll never, we'll never have the answer to the case. Yeah, you're probably right. And honestly, for, from what I've seen, yeah, of course, I'm no expert on the case. What I know about it is what you've told me. But it seems that police incompetence is, is the most likely scenario. I agree, but there is, is one point I would like to, to make here. And it's just this one thing that, that doesn't make sense to me. And that's I don't understand really why the FBI was involved to begin with. It's a good question. I suppose they could have been invited in by one of the state or local agencies. I, I don't think they were. Because, let's face it, the Kentucky State Police, you know, they zeroed in on Marty Dill from the beginning. And they seemed like they just wanted to prove it was him, close the case, and move on. So I, I don't see why they would have invited in another body to help investigate that. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And, and you know, we know that the FBI doesn't get involved in missing persons cases unless it's a child, unless it crosses state it lines in some crosses way. state lines or unless they're invited in. So I don't think they were invited in. I don't think the fact that the witness was in one state and the crime happened in another, that it, it means it cross state lines necessarily to be honest i don't know enough about this about the fbi's interaction with uh you know state and local agencies to know how strange this is exactly i don't either but it just it makes me feel like maybe this coincided with a case they had going already now i don't know that for sure but it is something that's strange to me yeah it's definitely a possibility i mean especially if it did have something to do with drugs maybe the fbi maybe their investigations crossed over at some point Maybe. And, and like I said, this is just uh, something that was strange to me. But I, I can't say that it means anything. What do, you, what do you think, though? Like, What do you think is more likely? Do you, do you have any real thoughts on this? To be honest, man, I have no idea what to make of this case. My gut instinct tells me, and for what that's worth, that she was probably just killed the, the way the original story says. She was dragged into the woods. Uh, you know, whether it was Marty Deal, I have no idea. But I'm going to need more evidence before I believe that she was some sort of uh, confidential informant or that there was some, you know, big police conspiracy. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I don't know either. I, it's really hard to make any kind of decision here. And I feel like we have a real lack of evidence, you know, for anything. I, I can say a- this, though. Whatever conspiracy theories that, that there are out there, the Kentucky State Police brought on themselves with the shoddy investigation they did. They cut a lot of corners, they zeroed in on a suspect, and refused to do anything that might contradict their theory of the case. Their failure to do their job created an information vacuum, which people, including Heather's mother, are trying to fill, naturally. I I completely agree with you there. And sadly, that is so common in these cases that we do. This case is notable for many reasons. On the surface, the eyewitness account is extraordinary. The initial suspect seems to be guilty. Then details emerge that do not add up. Sarah Teague may have made outlandish claims, but I know this woman is dedicated to finding the truth of what happened to her daughter. The theories she puts forth lack evidence, so I won't claim that I believe them. 
but I can't say that I disbelieve Sarah either. This family needs real answers, and the information they have now is cryptic at best. If you have any information that may help in the investigation of what happened to Heather Teague, her mother would prefer that you contact her instead of the Kentucky State Police. Her contact information can be found on her website, findheatherteague.com. We'd like to thank you for listening to the Fact and Suspicion podcast. If you have any comments for us, or if you'd like to suggest a case for us to cover, we'd like for you to reach out to us through Twitter at andsuspicion or through email factandsuspicion at gmail.com.